CB Northwest has changed its name to Church Venture Northwest. So the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast is now the Church Venture Northwest Podcast. We'll continue to bring you content from our past events. This is episode 97 of the Church Venture Northwest Podcast. This episode goes back to Women's Camp 2013, Theography, an Epic of Extravagant Love, with Pam Teschner. This is session one from Friday night. Uh, as Janet was saying, um, Annalie and I met last September, and I watched her paint during uh, a worship and praise time, and I was just struck by her gift and how she was painting and what she was doing. It was just, uh, it touched me. But what touched me more was her testimony afterwards, which is basically what Janet wrote. And, and Annalie always paints with a particular, um, with symbolism. And the color she uses and the symbols that she uses has meaning. And I would like her... Do we have a microphone that we can hand her? Sorry. She just took the microphone away. Gosh, hog the microphone. So I think it's good. So I'm going to let you talk about what you painted and a little bit about your journey. Okay. Gosh, it's great to be here with you guys. Woohoo! Last summer, <laughs> I have so much energy in this room. It's awesome. And I love to paint during worship. I think the most because... Uh, I can sing along and mm. just enjoy it. Um, so Pam had asked me to paint this evening um, along the lines of her theme, which she'll probably tell you more about. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there were some verses in the scripture that she was going to share. Um, <laughs> I didn't bring it up with me. Um, um, Oh, that from Ephesians. you may know, yeah. Yes, I'm um, reading that. That your feet may be planted firmly in the oh. love of Christ. Yes. And that you may know the height and the depth and the width, the breadth of God's love. And as I was driving here, I'm like, okay, God, I need some good symbols for these things. And I was going through all these things about the depth. You know, and I think about the ocean, and but all of a sudden the anchor came to my mind, and I love the anchor because it's a symbol of faith, and it does go to the depths, and we need our faith when we go to the depths, right? Like, that is such a beautiful thing, so that's the depths of God's love reaches down to where we need him most, where we're at our lowest, and he reaches to the the stars. He reaches mm. higher than the galaxy and beyond. He's mm. the God of the cosmos. And um, his love, how do you symbolize extravagant love <laughs> except by color? So um, that's why there's so much color, because um, to me, I see God in his colors. To me, I, I feel like God's gift to an artist are his colors, and we're his keepers <laughs> of mm. the colors. <laughs> mm. And I, I like to think of it that way, that every time I paint, I get to use God's colors. So it's <laughs> pretty cool. That's very cool. Thank you. And then, oh, how I got about to do this painting. 
Um, I grew up in the church. Um, I'm the youngest of seven, and um, I always knew that I was an artist from very young. I created little things out of nothing, like tape and staples. (laughs) (laughs) And I always got a box of crayons for my birthday. Um, And, um, you know, the typical thing, you get a kid. And, um, but I never really found my place in the church as a visual artist. I was always, I was a musician and um, some other things. But I always kind of felt like, yeah, but there's something more to me that needs a place in the kingdom. And um, it wasn't until I went with uh, Youth with a Mission um, to a discipleship training school for artists in Norway. That was um, about 13 years ago. Um, that God really, he just turned my world upside down and pretty much said, I want you as a visual artist in my kingdom. Like you have a place. And that was so, like I'd never felt that or heard that before. And so um, like what you read earlier, um, I went there creating artwork to be like, to be, you know, for people to buy it to match their couch, whatever, you know, like, (laughs) I just did whatever it took, you know, please. But then when I left, I left with a heart of, oh, so I can let go. Mm. I can relax and just let God fill me Mm. with his pictures. And um, because he loves me, I do this now not to be loved, but because I am loved. And so... It really stirred in me a passion for um, the artists would know that they're loved, they have a place in the kingdom, and that um, it's about worship. Mm. It's not about the product or being on the pedestal, but the master creator calls us to be worshipers of him. And so that's why I've been doing this for 12 years. (laughs) Wow. Great. Thank you. Thank you. I think I'll turn it off. And then maybe I won't. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. Thank you, Annalie. That, um, that is amazing. And you know, when we were watching Annalie paint, as she held her brushes and she painted, you realize... God was holding her in his hand and she was his brush. And as we create, as we do what we do, whether it's creating the perfect meatloaf or whether you play an instrument or whatever it is that you create, because God is a creative God, he made us to be creators as well. And whatever that is, you are the tool in his hand. You are his instrument. And he has created each of you in a unique way so that he can express the colors of his love through each of you. Right now, you're sitting in this seat because God has called you here tonight. Every one of you is here because God has a design to put you in this place tonight. And I have been praying for you. The camp committee has been praying for you. I have had a prayer team put together 
over this past about nine months, a covenant prayer team who has been dedicated to praying for this weekend and for your heart. And I have been praying that you would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would come to know him in a deeper, more vibrant, more vital way, and that this weekend he would set your heart ablaze. That has been my prayer. And there are people right now praying over this weekend. I have a friend in Arizona praying. I have family in Arkansas praying. We have people all over the state of Oregon praying, praying for you right now, right here, that you would come to know God in a much deeper way. Let's pray right now. Oh God, we are just tools in your hands, brushes that you use to paint the colors of your love, your extravagant love. God, I am just a tool. And I ask you right now to pick me up, to use me in your hand, that you would infill me, you would empower me, you would speak through me, and oh God, help me to get out of the way so that everyone in this room, including myself, can see you and hear your voice and sense your presence. Come into this place. Fill it to overflowing. And fill each heart with who you are. In Jesus' name. Over this weekend, there are, um, I'm, I'm going to cover the three sessions. There will be three topics. And tonight, we're going to look at creative love and in your booklets you've got in the back those each session and there's a basic three-point outline in each one but tonight we're looking at God's creative love and um, we will be looking at how you as you sit there in your seat you are the creative masterpiece of a loving God who designed you with a divine destiny and he wired you for good stuff and tomorrow night, we are going to be talking about the redeeming love of God, that he died to redeem our brokenness and make us new. And his love, that redeeming love, is extravagant. It is breathtaking. It is overwhelming. It is undoing. And we are going to get a glimpse of it tomorrow night. And Sunday morning, we're going to talk about his transforming love. That God has called each of you into intimate companionship with him. To walk with him in an amazing personal relationship that grows deeper and deeper each day. And he is transforming you into a thing of beauty. That is his design for you. That is his purpose for you. Let him do that in your life and let it start this weekend if he hasn't already begun. I'm going to teach you a word this weekend and I want to hear it all over camp. I want to hear it in this place. And the word is a word that comes from the Hebrew. It's also the same in Greek. And in fact, 
It is a universal word. And the word is, sort of like the password is. Some of you are too young. Who was 13 or 14 in here? There's no way you remember that. <laughs> I'm guessing most of you don't remember that, do you? The word is amen. Okay. Amen means that is so true. That is so true. Or it can mean so be it. Let it be so. Okay. So it means that is so true. Or it means yes, let it be so. So we're going to practice. We're going to warm up a little bit because when I get to the important part where you have your part, I want it loud. So let's see if we can lift that about an inch. Okay, you ready? On three. One, two, three. Amen. Not too bad. And this is the signal. All right. Well, you're getting pretty good at this. <laughs> All right. So, are you saying something down there? I said you need to watch your twitching. Am I twitching? Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, although, you may see me stand up in the dining hall. You may see me walking down a path. Yeah. All right. All right, this is Nehemiah 8. Ezra opened the book. All the, pe all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord. Praise God. The <laughs> it's not yet. Spontaneity, I don't know. <laughs> Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen! All right, you can say <laughs> By the way, you don't need to wait for me to do the little, if you just... Oh. <laughs> That's good, good, okay. <laughs> so, anytime you hear something, do not hesitate. I know, I know that most of us are conservative Baptists, but get over it. Yeah. Amen! Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, anytime something just strikes you, and you want to say, that is so true, you're going to use your new word. Amen! All right? So just feel free. Shout out. Well, I'm talking. It's all right. Because if you hear something and you just want to you, you punctuate it, you can punctuate it with amen. Yes, sister, preach it. And that'll kind of get me all, you know, wired here. I don't need any more wiring. I, however, you know, they make drinks with caffeine in it. I should have had one of those. So here is, here's what this weekend is about. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom 
His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is why we're here. That is why I am standing here for no other reason but that I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of my heart and all of my soul. And I want to know him more. I want to fall more in love with him. And I hope that it spills over onto you. And I want you to fall in love with Jesus Christ because he desperately loves you. He loves you just as you are, just as you sit in that seat right now. The king is in the house. And we are surrounded by his holy angels. There's a supernatural force in this room and is the force of the eternal living God himself and his holy angels. And the enemy can prowl, but greater is he that is in us and in this room than he that is in the world. And he is going to do an amazing, amazing work this weekend. I know that he is. He told me so. (laughs) And I can't wait to see what he does. This is going to be a good weekend. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah, sister. The story of God, I don't get to do this very often, so I'm really going to go overboard for a little while probably. I don't get microphones, they don't hand me microphones very often, so when I get an opportunity. The story of God, this whole epic of extravagant love starts from before the beginning of time. At a point along the endless continuum of infinity, God spoke the planet into existence. Blackness was over the churning surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the dark waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and darkness exploded into radiant light. Then He created a great expanse separating the water below from the water above. And you know what he called it? Sky. Swirling patterns of clouds blanketed the planet. Then he gathered the water below and continents emerged. He held his hand to the mighty oceans and he said, this far you may come and no farther. This is where your proud waves halt. 
Breakers crashed against rocky shorelines and swept over sandy beaches. God spoke, and from the epicenter of his powerful word, green waves of lush vegetation spread out over the land. Then he splashed it with blossom colors. At his command, rugged peaks rose higher and higher until they pierced the clouds. Fresh beauty stretched across the pristine landscape of paradise. God inhaled deeply, savoring the rich fragrances of life. Then he spun the moon and he set it in orbit around the earth. He ignited the furnace of the sun and it burst into flame. He breathed out trillions of stars across the endless expanse of the universe. And he called them each by name. Antares and the Pleiades sparkled like pinpricks of white fire against the black sky. Then God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth. The forests came alive with a thousand songs. A pod of dolphins leaped and played in the Pacific and a white eagle glided through the trees of the Orinoco jungle. Then he said, let the land produce every kind of living creature. Giraffes ambled across the African savanna. Kangaroos bounded through the outback. And countless caribou thundered over the tundra. God surveyed the breathtaking panorama from continent to continent and said, Now this is totally good. Amen. Amen. Then the Lord of glory walked onto a special patch of earth and he scooped a handful of soil and from the particles of clay he began to shape and form an image of himself with great intent and holy purpose he created and he planted eternity in the soul of the clay his love into its heart and into its mind the will to choose then he breathed life into the nostrils of the creature of clay Adam gasped as the very life and breath of God himself surged through his being. Clay turned to flesh as the warmth of life spread over it and Adam became a living soul. He blinked and looked up into the smiling face of God. Angels gaped at the startling likeness of creator 
and created. Then he extended his hand and helped Adam to his feet. And he enveloped him in a big old bear hug, bursting with torrents of light. The morning stars sang together, and legions of angels shouted for joy. An avalanche of praise swept over the earth. But creation wasn't quite yet perfect. (laughs) The best was yet to come. The creator put Adam into a deep sleep and tenderly shaped another image of himself, this time from the flesh and bone of man. Both Adam and Eve bore his beauty and the impression of his hand. Both were objects of his glorious love and deep delight. God planted a garden. It was a magnificent enclosed garden, the ultimate secret garden in the east of Eden. Day after day, the three companions strolled through the garden. They loved to walk together in the cool of the evening and watch the stars come out one by one. God greeted them each by name. They sparkle into view. The irrepressible joy and love of God spilled over Adam and Eve. The hearts of deity and humanity were locked in perfect oneness in paradise. You were made to be locked in perfect oneness with the heart of the living God, the God who made all this. You were designed to be one with Almighty God. He loved you and he chose you before the world was made, before that whole story began, before that and before that, before the beginning of time, he chose you and he set his love upon you. In Ephesians 1, and I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation, Ephesians 1, 4, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Even before the world was made, he chose you in Christ to be holy and without fault. That's why he chose you. To make you holy, not so that you could do the right things to become holy. You aren't chosen to try to be holy. You were chosen so he could make you holy. And you were made as Adam and Eve were made so that all 
creation could look at you and know what God is like. You're made, we're made in the image of God. And he intended you to reflect who he is so that everyone can see God in all of you. That is his purpose and intent for you. Isaiah 49, 1, again in the New Living Translation, the Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, he called me by name. Pam, are you in there? And something happened. Before you were born, he chose you. And when he started weaving you together in your mother's womb, he was calling you by name. He already had your name picked out. I think he has a special name for us. I know that he has a name for us. And I discovered recently in a revelation that that special name is going to be written on a white stone and hand it to us one day, and you'll see what his loving name is for you into eternity. You were deliberately planned. None of you were an accident. <laughs> Your parents may have said that to you. <laughs> Jennifer. <laughs> Oops! <laughs> But trust me, you were deliberately planned by the Creator. And He gifted you and He called you by name before your parents named you. And you know that as He was weaving you together in your, in your mother's womb, He was singing over you. He was humming along as He was intricately making you, weaving all of those cells and those tissues together. And He was coloring the irises of your eye and he was shaping your nose your nose is because God may gave you that <laughs> and he gave you the color of your eyes and the color of your hair this is his fault too by the way <laughs> started a long time ago he made you exactly how he wanted you to be and do you know that um, as he did with Adam and Eve not only did he plant eternity in your soul so that you, have, you are an eternal, your soul is eternal. Every one of you will live forever. It's a matter of where. You are eternal. Your soul will live forever in heaven or in hell. That's the bottom line, women. And he created you to be with him forever in the beauty and magnificence of heaven. And he not only planted eternity in your soul, he put his love into your heart and into your mind. He gave you a choice because, you know, he did not want a puppet and he did not want a robot. And we often wonder, why, God, did you give me a choice so that I can choose to do wrong and get frustrated because I... I can't seem to get it right. He did that because he wanted to be chosen. 
Do you not want to be chosen? Do you not want someone to love you because of who you are? God wanted to be loved and chosen because of who he is. And you were purposed to be in a deeply satisfying relationship with him. He wrote every day of your story in his book. It says in Psalm 139, verse 16, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Every day of your life was recorded in his book before the first one began, before those two cells joined and you started. Before that, he wrote every day of your life. He is the author of your story. Think about that. We are co-authors because he gave us choices. And you can write your story along with him. And he is the master pen, the master writer. And you are within his sovereign grace. But you have choices that will determine paths, directions, destinations, pig pens like the prodigal son. But you are still being written by a loving God passionately, lovingly. Dan Ellender wrote this, you are a well-written, intentional story that is authored by the greatest writer of all time. And even before time and after time, God shaped, molded, and formed us to reveal something about himself. Your story is meant to reveal God's design story. Did I say that right? God, your story is written to reveal God's divine story. The great, the story, and by the way, what I just told you earlier was part one of the story. You're going to hear part two of that story tomorrow night, and you will hear the finale, part three, Sunday morning. That story is a story of the beauty of creation, of struggle with sin, tragedies of wrong choices, of death, of redemption, and of transformation. That story, those story arcs encompass every one of your stories. Creation, sin, struggle, loss, death, redemption, transformation. That's the story. That's God's story, and it plays out in every one of us. You've got to find the meaning in your story. It took me a long time to find the meaning in my story. Find the greater story in your story. Find the deeper meaning the running storyline, the purpose of the plot and the characters that have come into your life. It was all for a purpose. Every character, be it evil, be it good, every character that has come into your life, study that, 
What is the plot? What is the story? What is the greater story? What is it that God is doing with that to ultimately write a good story? Think about what might happen if you began to embrace your stories. Think what he might do with your life. No matter how damaging some of those events were in your life, how difficult, God is bigger and more powerful than all of our stories, all of the events, all of the characters. God is greater than it all. He is bigger than all of our stories. And you are the declaration of the glory and greatness of God. And that's why you're sitting here, so that you can be the declaration of the glory and the greatness and the goodness and the love of God. That's why you're here. If you're looking for a purpose, I just gave you one. That's why you're here, to declare the goodness and greatness of our great God and to fall in love with that God who loves you desperately and wants to be loved back. I've been sitting in this forum and in those seats for over 30 years. Every third weekend of July, I've been here. I don't know that I've missed a year. I can't think of any that I have, but I may have. But I can remember coming as a young adult. And I was sitting out there <clears throat> as a young person enjoying all the excitement and the activity of camp. And I came as a young married with hopes for my future. And I sat there a few years later as a young mom struggling in a difficult marriage. I sat there aching to know the love of God, aching to understand how to find that place of intimacy with him. And it eluded me. I could not get it. I could not grasp it. I wanted so bad and I sat out there in those seats and I just ached to know him. And my heart was breaking from a very destructive, dysfunctional marriage. And I came year after year, pain in my heart. And as the years wore on, the darkness began to envelop me. And I came, and I kept coming. And it was in this place, in a camp, not women's camp, obviously, because my husband was here, and we were at a special couples retreat. In fact, it was at Valentine's Day, and in the dining hall, with several men around us, he confessed his infidelity to me. And I stood like the atom bomb had just gone off in my heart, and my knees weakened, and he was weeping, and um, my world collapsed. I didn't see that one coming. I was stupid that I didn't see that one coming, but I didn't. And it was a couple years later, sitting in those seats with my heart broken open and trying to find a God who cared about me and who could heal me and heal my marriage. And I remember 
on a Saturday afternoon of camp. Debbie and I took a walk that direction. And the pain was so great that my knees finally gave way. And I dropped to that dirt path under those fir trees. And I wept out my heart. I was agonizing, agonizing, and dying a slow death inside. And I did not know how to survive. God gave me a little gift that day when a doe and her twin fawns walked by as I was sobbing out loud. And that doe and those twin fawns came unusually close and God spoke peace into my heart. And I know what it's like to sit here and not want to go home because it's too hard. And I know what was going to happen. I was being consumed by a darkness and my life was literally draining away. I've never felt that way before and I hope I never feel that way again. But I was unraveling and I suddenly began to be afraid because I knew that I was, had just a few threads left and I wasn't sure what was going to happen when they were gone. And I really thought I was dying, physically dying. Everything was kind of getting gray in my world. And I lost all feeling. And um, I was hanging on an edge of a very deep black abyss. And the uh, marriage died. And I almost did. But God in his grace pulled me back from that edge. I was teetering dangerously close. There was no reason for me to go on. And it was my sons, the love for my sons that kept me on the planet. I am standing here having gone through a horrific divorce. When you glue two lives together in marriage and they produce two more lives, you do not disassemble that. No one comes out intact. Everyone comes out in pieces. And there is nothing, nothing, nothing worse, more hurtful than seeing two little boys, hearts, break. The images that are burned into my mind to this day, I will never, never shake. They were very young at the time and they didn't understand. And their little hearts were broken. I am standing here today to tell you God is a God of healing and hope. There was not restoration in my marriage, but there is still healing in our lives. I want to tell you about my two wonderful boys. Is he not handsome? (laughs) This is my Eric. 
He's 29 years old right now. He's just finished his third deployment. He's been in Iraq once and Afghanistan twice. He's on a Black Hawk. And um, he is my fun-loving, fearless, heart-stopping risk-taker who enjoys the thrill of the ride. <laughs> and I knew I was in trouble when I was teaching him to drive. <laughs> and I had a little Ford Escort at the time, and the Golden Lab was in the back seat. And we were driving into Lebanon, and of course, being the fearless, fun-loving, heart-stopping risk-taker, speed limits hadn't yet, you know, <laughs> computed. And so I said, Eric, slow down. Eric, slow down. Eric, slow down. And we're just jetting. I was 45 still. And at that time, Lebanon was redoing that main road tangent that comes in, and the new road was about three feet higher <laughs> than the old road. At least it seemed like that. It couldn't have been. Maybe there was a ramp. Anyway, I saw it coming. Eric, slow down. Eric, Eric, slow down. And he's like... <laughs> and we launch. <laughs> and I see the dog... <laughs> fly into the air. And then we go... Kawah! And the dog... <laughs> and, and I'm like... <gasps> And I look at Eric, and he's like, Wow! Let's do that again! That's my Eric. I have another one or two. Here's, uh, that's Australia underneath him. Skydiving. What'd you do over your R&R &R in Australia, Eric? Well, I jumped out of a plane. <laughs> Then he also, for those of you who don't like snakes, don't look. And then there's my oldest son, Mark. He's my domestic one. <laughs> he's 32. He's cautious. He's very careful. He's safe. Which I very much appreciate when I was teaching him to drive. <laughs> the knuckles were white. And then when we pulled over, you know, I took him on these back roads. You know, you're not supposed to, but I did anyway. Taught him to drive on the back roads. And <clears throat> then we pull over, because, you know, I couldn't take him into town. He was like 14. So, <laughs> and so then I said, okay, I'll, I'll drive the rest of the way. So he, he gets out, he goes, sits in, and I sit down, and the seat is like hot. <laughs> it's like I had heated seats, I'm thinking. Anyway. That's Mark, and he is, um, he's a, has, this is my little Cora, his little, uh, his little girl, Cora, and as you can see, he is, uh, he loves his little girl. One more. And I just took this the other day, as we were standing on the deck, and I was, I had to, I had a little more to prepare for what I was about to say tonight, and he called, he said, Mom, uh, Cheryl, and that was Cheryl, his wife, by the way, in that other picture. Cheryl's in the seminar, and it's Cora and I, and we'd like to go to Grandma's house and pick Marionberries. And I went, because it was a Saturday, and I thought, I've got all Saturday. I've got all Saturday. I can prepare. I can be ready. Mom, what? Okay. And so I'm like, okay, okay, I need to do this. And uh, 
So we went over and they were playing and I caught this picture of Mark and Cora and it was just uh, touched my heart that that is the kind of man he has grown to be. And in this next one, this is the product <laughs> of um, Mark and Cheryl. And God had Cora in mind long before the world was made. I finally got to a point where I said, God, thank you for that marriage. Thank you for that husband of mine. Because I know you have taken those dark days. And were it not for those dark days, I would not know him and love him the way I do. God came to me. Jesus Christ came to me in the pit of the abyss and he wrapped his arms around me and he held me in the abyss. He didn't pull me out of it yet. And he cradled me and he was my wounded healer and he said, I know the pain because I bore it on the cross. And he came to me as my wounded healer and he held me in the darkness. And finally one day, he brought light to my soul and healing. And my two little boys whose hearts were shattered have, by the miracle and grace of God, become amazing young men. Wonderful young men. And there's my little Cora. She is a sweetheart. Those bright blue eyes look into your very soul and she did in her first week of life and I held her like this and her eyes just bore I know they can't see but she did <laughs> I know she did and every once in a while when I'm holding her she'll kind of lean back and just look me in the eye and I'm like ah what is she looking at anyway that is that's my family. And there may be more to come. My marriage was not a mistake. Your marriage was not a mistake. God planned it and designed it to build good in you and to give you hope and healing. He has amazing plans for you and wired you to do good stuff. That's why you're here on this planet is to do good stuff and bring glory to God. Jeremiah 29, 11 in the New Living uh, Translation says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. The story he has written for you can sometimes feel disastrous. And sometimes we have co-authored and we begin to write some of those storylines ourselves by our wrong choices. But he overwrites and he carries us. If we follow, you must follow. He creates his character in us. Romans 5, 3, and 4 tells us that we should rejoice in our sufferings. I did not feel like rejoicing. I must admit it. There was no rejoicing bone in my body. But he says to rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. It isn't that 
well, that's going to give you a character. Toughen up. <laughs> that is not what that verse means. That verse means when you go through suffering, God is developing his character in you. We don't understand. I don't know why all of that happened. Well, I do know. I know that God had designed me to stand here on this platform tonight. And he designed me to tell my story so that you could understand the greater story of God's redemption and his love. And women who go through that kind of suffering, if you trust yourself in his hands, if you let him carry you, there is a rare beauty that he wants to develop through suffering. Suffering produces a rare beauty, but you have to trust it in God's hands during those breaking times. Breaking is not easy, and it's very hard, it's very painful, but trust the pieces in his hands, and he will develop his character in you and a rare beauty. There was a time when I thought that my ministry was over. Um, you know, 20 years ago, um, someone who's divorced didn't have a lot of opportunities in the church, in a conservative Baptist church. <laughs> I'm very proud, by the way, of being conservative Baptist. Don't get me wrong. Amen! But, and so I really thought, well, that's it. You know, I might as well forget about any music ministry. I might as well forget about this little, there was this little seed inside of me of wouldn't that be great to be a speaker someday? I want you to know I sat in those seats and I watched this person and I studied this person and I thought, how are they doing what they're doing? Wow, that'd be cool to be able to do that someday. And I had this little dream that I did not tell anybody about because I knew it'd never happen. <laughs> then you called me one day. <laughs> I, I heard someone say this once, and I love this. Our messes become our ministry. I thought that was good. Our messes become our ministry. Our past wounds do not define us. There was a long time I felt my definition was divorced and it took me a long time to get past that and realize that was not who I was that was not my definition it was simply a part of my past it is a part of who I am it is a part of what I am today but it does not define who I am God defines who I am and I am his child I am his daughter I am the lover of his soul, and he is the lover of my soul. Oswald Chambers said this, God is the God of our yesterdays, and he allows the memory of them to turn the past into a ministry of spiritual growth for our future. Is that not great? Listen to that again. God is the God of our yesterdays, and he allows the memory of them to turn the past into into a ministry of spiritual growth for our future. 
Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That, those circumstances of my life, the circumstances of your life are not derailing God's plans for us. He has a plan for you. Trust him and he will bring that to be. You were designed to do good stuff. What did, what's in you? What passion is in you? What dreams did he plant in you? What is it that he's making you to become? What is it that he wants to do so that he can hold you and paint the colors of his love? We don't admire those brushes that Anna Lee held. Like, whoa, look at that cool brush. Actually, I kind of do because I paint. <laughs> I just like, I like those brushes. You better be watching them. I'm not, we don't admire the brush. We admire the, what's created by the brush. Anna Lee, it was God's brush in his hand. And she knows that we're not admiring her. Well, we kind of are. Wow, she's really good. But that's not the point. We are not admiring, yeah, admiring her. We're admiring this beauty that God has put in her to paint. Don't admire me. I'm not admiring you. We're all in this together. God is using every one of you, every, all of us. We're brushes. We're tools. Not to be admired, but to be used by God to create things of beauty. That's his plan. I want to tell you a little story from Joshua 3 as I wrap up. That um, there was a time when the children of Israel came to the Jordan River and it was at flood stage. It was that time of the year in the spring of the year when there's a lot of water running through. It's just this raging torrent of a river. And the children of Israel came up to that and that was... The, from that point on was the promised land. And there they stood. All right, how are we going to do this? And Joshua said, here's what we're going to do. God told me this is what we're going to do. The priests are going to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And when their toes step into the water, what happened? The water stopped and it piled up. And it became dry ground. And they walked across and God said to Joshua, this is what you're going to tell them to do. That when they walk through, one man from each tribe, so 12 men, were to stop where the, um, the Ark of the Covenant was being held. Because the priests walked into the middle of the river and held the Ark of the Covenant while all the children of Israel walked by and went into the promised land. And one man from each tribe stopped where they were, and picked up a rock and carried it. And God said, have them pick up a rock, carry it into, oh, across the river into the promised land and pile them up and make a pile of rocks. So that one day when your children walk by and say, what's that pile of rocks? You can say, have I got a story to tell you? That God is a God of miracles. That God is going to do amazing things. And when he does amazing things, he says, remember. 
Do something tangible. Pick something up. Write something down. Remember. Remember. And in this case, he told them, take a rock to remember. In July of 1995, I was sitting out there, and Bonnie Kopp was the speaker. And uh, she was talking about, and she said, don't carry the dead bodies of the past on your shoulders. Well, I had a major dead body I was carrying on my shoulders. And God helped me to realize I was struggling under that dead body. And I slowly began to realize I needed to let it go if I was going to go forward into the future with him. I had to drop that dead body so that I could receive the life he was offering me. Well, I, I was reading... I was staying in a trailer out here in the Forum Field, and sometime on Saturday afternoon, I was reading a devotional. And through that devotional, God spoke to me very specifically and very clearly. And he said to me, do you love me? Do you love me? And I said, I love you, Lord. And he said loud and clear to me, feed my sheep feed my sheep okay (laughs) what's that gonna look like so as I left camp that that year that Saturday knowing the importance of remembering rather significant events in your life I picked up a rock and unfortunately it was kind of a big one (laughs) know what I was thinking I picked up this rock in 1995 right out there in the forum field (laughs) this is how I get my exercise right out there in the forum forum field I picked this rock so that I would always remember and by the way this sits by Barbara Bush I do I do not have it yeah some of you are thinking I really have a picture of Barbara Bush in my house well no I don't but not that I don't like Barbara but I have a rose bush called Barbara Bush. And so this sits below Barbara Bush. And I see that rock every once in a while and I go, wow, amazing. I had no idea in 1995 what God was going to do in my life. I had no idea. But a couple of my friends shortly after that year started to put their foot in my backside and say, you should lead a Bible study. And that's how it began. But, again, I still felt that label of, how can I do this? After all, I am conservative Baptist and I'm divorced. Those two don't go together very well. And so I really thought there would just be no way that God would ever use me in a speaking ministry. I really just kind of let go of that. And one day, in 2001, my phone rang. And it was a woman from Roseburg. And she said to me, I I understand that you speak. And I thought, oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Actually, I had spoken. I had done a Bible study. I had spoken to our own women. We had a few women's retreats at at Lebanon First Baptist. So I could say I had. Where's Martha from Roseburg? Martha, I was really telling the truth. spoken just not outside of my church (laughs) I didn't tell Jackie that but anyway she said I just I just feel like God is 
is doing this, that he's, that he's put you on my heart to speak. And I thought, whoa, okay. And, um, and from that retreat, that was my first speaking retreat outside of my own church. And I told the story of the rocks, and I brought a little basket of rocks, and I asked the women if they would pick up a rock to, and share what God had done in their lives that weekend. And we all sat around in a yurt, uh, around a fire, I think, and different people got up to, they took a rock and they, they said, have I got a story to tell you? This is what God did in my life this weekend. And I picked up this rock that's kind of rose-colored because I wanted to remember Roseburg because God did a miracle in my life. And the two of you that are sitting there from Roseburg had probably no idea what God was doing in my life. He ministered to me more than he ministered to them, I know. But what was kind of scary was that right before the retreat, the church was going through a difficult time of sorting out divorce issues. And the enemy knew right where to hit me. And she called and said, Pam, I just want you to know this. Don't worry. And I said, oh my goodness. Do you know I am divorced? They are not going to want me to come and speak. She says, don't worry about it. I want you to come anyway. And so I tell you what, that knocked my feet out from under me. But I went by faith and I spoke in his name. And I will always remember that God does amazing things. He plants dreams in us. And I sat there 30 years ago dreaming, never believing, never really believing that this would happen. This is God. This is what God does in lives. It's not about me. It is about God's story, his story, being told through my life, his story being told uniquely through your life. There is a part of his story that only you can tell. There's a unique slice of his story that he's given to you. Share it. Maybe your story will be the one that will set us all ablaze. We need your stories. We need to know how God is speaking into your story, how he is working his good into your story. You may not see it now. I didn't see it in the blackness at the bottom of the abyss. I didn't see it. I couldn't tell you what good was in my story. But I'm here to tell you, one day you will. You will. There is hope. There is healing. Read your story this weekend. Understand it from God's eyes. Ask him, what is the greater story that he's telling through your life? Ask him what he's created you to do, to be. What are his dreams for you? Your life is a song. It's a song that he sings. It's a song he writes. It's a song you co-author. What's your song? What's your song? Let's pray. Father, you, you are a God of hope and healing and restoration. You are a God of amazing love, extravagant love. 
And I ask that even in this moment that you would touch every heart, that every heart would just have a great sense of you right beside them, right here, leaning close, wrapping your arms around them. Let them feel your love, oh God. Let them know the depth of your love. And God, I pray that each woman in this room will find you to be their savior, their redeemer, the joy of their heart, and their very life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' holy name. And everyone said...